In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and a first-class patient education and service program, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside, outside, on your stairs, on the road, on a path leading down to the woods, on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th, coast to coast, as we climb and come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. doing? I am Rob Beertelfel. I cover the Pittsburgh Pirates for The Athletic, and I am joined by the interplanetary Stephen J. Nesbitt. Rob, we are getting closer to baseball? Yeah, that's debatable, I suppose. You could say that. I mean, <laughs> there's a sense that maybe if they can figure out, you know, what to do with that giant pile of cash... It's in the middle of the room and who can grab the most. It's like that. It's like those, you ever see those contests back in the day? They put you in a booth and they pump in air, then they shoot in like bills and you have to grab all the dollar bills or the tens and hundreds and whatever from before they turn off the air. And that's kind of reminds me of the owners and players right now, just frantically grabbing about for the money. Yeah, that's that's a pretty fair way to look at it. I, I first off want to say I hope you don't have to pay extra for the wind chimes in the background. <laughs> um, usually for some of that, from some of that audio, you got to pay extra. So, <laughs> so w- we we are a little bit closer. I I think that well, I mean obviously by the time this goes up, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. By the time this goes up, I mean we could be in a whole different world. We could be three proposals down the road. I don't know how quickly all this is going to work. I think you and I both agree, as do most people around the game, that you have to figure something out in the next week, and we're already part of the way through it. Yeah. And um, we are at, I guess, what what would be proposal number two from the from the owners. Mm-hmm. Owners have done a really effective job of getting all this information out to the public. Shout out all reporters in the world. And <laughs> uh, some people out there are very upset about leaks. And even some of our, our good friends on the beat, uh, I've seen Jason Mackey and John Parado have both been tweeting about how baseball needs to shut up and get in a room and just get it done because it's not a great look. And I agree, mm-hmm. not a super good look for baseball. Is it good for reporters? Heck yeah. <laughs> and But the other side of it is like this is all part of the posturing. Both sides are really deeply dug in to their, their position. Uh, and I think if you have a really big problem with leaks, like just – like sort of close your eyes and cover your ears for a week. Like it'll be figured out uh, by the end of the week. But if you don't want to follow the the blow by blow of the next week, like you don't have to. Um, and so I, I'm here for it. I think this is going to be a really fascinating week because we're getting to the point, Rob, where um, we go from the both sides saying, you know, ideally this is what I get out of this situation to, okay, let's, let's actually get closer to our final and best offers. I don't think, I don't think either side is particularly close to offering what is um, 
what we probably need to get to, which is a bad deal for everyone, <laughs> a situation where, where nobody feels quite good. I think that's effective um, negotiating. Um, I, I do think there's too much to lose for them to actually cancel it. And so is it in the realm of possibility? Sure. Mm-hmm. You saw the most recent proposal has uh, has has the most um, well-paid stars losing, or not losing a ton of money. They're getting from what they expected to get this season before everything. And even after they, they agreed to a prorated salary, they're taking a really big salary cut. And so could some of them throw a fit, and rightfully so, that never mind, I'm not playing for, you know, a, a you know a third or even even less of what I, I expected to get. Um, I could see, yeah, that could re- make a really big impact. What I think is the concern here, Rob, on the players' side is, do the owners throwing proposals like this out into the the wind, which has you know a sliding scale rather than a revenue split, like they were talking about last week? Does this cause a divide in the union where um, you look at the guys making the major league minimum? And you could you could see a situation where someone we brought up Brian Reynolds as an example a couple weeks ago. You could see a guy like that being like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm almost making what I was going to make under a straight prorated salary situation, uh, so it's not really a big deal for me. I'll, I'll take this deal where a Bryce Harper is saying, "No way, I'm I'm barely making, you know, I'm making a fraction of what I had anticipated getting, or, or even what a prorated salary would be." So I think this is where you see. Uh, the haves and the haves nots will have some pretty big arguments. And I want, I want to see how the union handles that because for better or worse, they have not really been nearly as public about, um, about what proposals they're putting forth or what amendments they're making. We're mm-hmm. kind of just hearing that they're displeased, right? Yeah. We're hearing yeah. they're not happy, but that's kind of it. Yeah. That's one of the things I thought of whenever I saw the, the owner's second proposal here with the sliding scale was, well, that's a pretty smart strategy is if you're going into, yeah. you know, the, if you're going to a big CBA negotiation in a, in a year or two, why not try to put some, uh, some cracks in the, in the foundation right now, a little, you know, maybe those fissures are becoming a little wider and maybe you can finally break that union. Cause it, let's face it, the union has a pretty good track record. Even though the, the system is inequitable and all that, there's some, you know, the union's made some pretty big gains in baseball, especially compared to the other sports. And now we're seeing those other sports, you know, football and, and, and hockey and the NBA all talking about getting back, uh, onto the fields yep. and courts soon. Um, although I saw this afternoon in the athletic, there were a couple of guys in the Premier League who uh, tested positive today. And I was not unsure. We're still kind of unsure what that will mean for their plans for uh, resumed workouts and such. But, you know, if there are some cracks with the haves and the have nots, some, uh, you know, some resentment building there, that's only going to work to the owner's advantage. I will tell you this. I got late last night. How late? Well, it, it, you know, I was, I was, Back on, head on the pillow and ready to roll <laughs> sleeping time whenever I got an unsolicited uh, text message from a former player. I won't say who he is, but it was a former player and it was a long text. Uh, I'll just give you some of the highlights. You, see, you know, MLB sold 75% of its BAM tech to Disney for huge bucks. Nobody is going broke. The players were the product, but not the part of Bamtech ownership, so MLB was not obligated to cut them in on the deal. This year we have a situation where the owners are not going to make as much as usual, or maybe even lose some money for a rare occasion. The players' contract with the clubs is an agreement that the players will provide their skills for 162 regular season games per year. Postseason money comes from a pool, a percentage of the postseason tickets from the first four games of the postseason, not from the clubs. 
the owners commit to provide the stadiums for the games and all the other necessities, you know, travel, hotels, balls, bats, etc. 2020, very rare exception to the norm, the owners ask the players to take a reduction in salary because the owners are not going to be able to make as much money as usual. Why? Because they're not able to hold up their end of the deal. Somewhere, Marvin Miller is rolling over in his grave over the fact that players have already made concessions and they were not the ones who could not provide what was their obligation. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, there's all, his thoughts and feelings are, are shared by a lot of former players who look at it and say, you know, don't give an inch on what we gained all those years. And uh, the guys who have now obviously don't want to give, you know, heck, if you're Garrett Cole and you're making whatever it was you're making, $35 million or whatever this year, you know, I mean, yeah, $9 million is still a lot of cash. But, why, you know, just, you know, I see both sides of this. I mean, the owners, are, are, there's risk there. The players, there's definitely risk there. We don't know the entirety of the owner's you know, financial risk. We're just taking their word for it. We can't see their books. Yeah. So yep. it's hard to negotiate when it's not a, a fully honest and open communication. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 there's the rub. That's what we're dealing with right now. And you have players who are getting historical and rightfully so, like the the guy who texted you, uh, saying, "Look, look at this huge stretch of years. Look at you guys have." taking advantage of how this system hurts the players and that system hurts the players and some guys get paid, but now no one's getting paid in free agency. And, and they see all these problems occurring over the years that they hope to get rectified in the new CBA. And the owners are looking at it just as this year. And they're like, they're like, forget, forget what we're talking about in the CBA. Forget last <laughs> year, forget next year. Let's get this season figured out. And the reality is I need you guys to get me back some of this money because we can't have fans in, uh, in our ballparks. And this spring we, we agreed to, you know, we pretty quickly, it wasn't a huge drawn out thing. We agreed, Hey, let's prorate these salaries. But the condition was that fans would be in the stadium. And we, I think it was one of the players conditions was that, uh, they wouldn't come back to play until there were fans in the stadium. So you can look at that. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong on that one. Call me if I am. Uh, <laughs> you look at that and you say, well, th that condition hasn't been met. And so players could waive that, of course, but the owners can come back and say, well, that's sort of a condition for us too, because we're not going to make this nearly the same amount of money. So, like we've said before, owners aren't going to open their books. There's no way they're going to do that and show the historical side of this. And, you know, and there's no, no reason for them to be like, okay, in 16, we made this much money. In 17, we made that much money. 18, we lost a little bit of money. 19, we made a ton of money. And then 20, look how much we're losing. They're just not going to do that because they have these CBA negotiations coming up. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're left uh, with basically a week to figure all of this out. And as we deal with the, both sides doing this strange little dance and posturing and acting like we're just, we just can't, we can't, we can't believe you're asking. In, in a time like this, Rob Beer Temple, you're asking for, for more money? Um, and instead of, instead of just coming around a table and saying, you know what, let's really get this done. What's it going to take to get, what's it going to take to get this year done? Let's, let's get 82 games. Let's get 100 games, uh, round robin, playoff, whatever. Let's get a little tournament. Let's have some fun with it. Ideally, in a, in a perfect world, that's what you do. You walk into a room six feet, feet apart and you, and you just hammer out some sort of agreement that, that gets that, it's a patchwork thing that gets us through this year. But at least the player's side isn't willing to do that right now and forget all the rest because they say there's a whole lot more context that needs to be included in here. 
And we see this as another step in owners taking advantage of us as we've played for you summer after summer after summer. And we've seen all these fans come into the ballparks. We've seen BAM tech deals. We've seen TV deals. We've seen national TV deals. We've seen all this stuff and we aren't seeing our salaries go up uh, by that much. The, the average player isn't seeing his salary go up by all that much. We're having veterans who are getting weeded out of the market and free agency. And those guys are frustrated. They're fed up. And they're seeing this situation. It's like, we're not, we're not, I finally made my $5 million. I'm not going to just watch as it gets dropped down to, you know, 1.8 or two or something. Um, so the fact is we are coming up on a deadline of sorts. So we're going to see what, what that best and final offer is on both sides. And I think there's a lot of room to go. So again, if you, if you don't want to see it, then, then just like go turn off Twitter for a little while, because I think we're going to get a whole lot of, um, uh, probably, irrationally outrageous responses for a couple of days and then we finally get down to okay there's a there's a there's a whisper of something it seems like there there's a little bit of progress it seems like the sides are backing off on this they're backing off on that they're um and i think in the end each side is going to win something players you have to imagine i haven't seen a whole lot on this but um have to imagine they're going to get some guarantee uh, or assurance at least that um they're going to get a year of service time because that matters hugely in the long run oh yeah uh that's a huge reason why they wouldn't want to cancel this season is they are no closer to free agency than, free agency that, than they were. And they're already upset that they have to wait six years plus all of the minor leagues to get to free agency. So if you give players uh, a year of service time, maybe owners bump it back to a hundred games. Um, you know, I was seeing Bryce Harper on Instagram was talking about how, you know, add a month to the, to the back end of the season, do double headers. We can get 130 games or something like that. Um, you may not go that far, but the argument right now is players say, well, just give us more games, even if we're getting less than exactly the prorated amount, even if we get a little bit less than, than, than what that is, let's get some more games in, more, more money for everybody. And the owners are saying, well, we can't have fans in here. We're losing money for every game we host. And so it's even worse for us to have, to have more games. Uh, I feel like that's a weak condition where, where that could be a weak point where players push through and get them to add more games and owners maybe get them to take a little bit less money per game. I wonder too what, uh, you just, something you said made me think of is what happens if they do, you know, push the season back, try to get more games in. And you get to the point where now we've got like maybe two or three or maybe even all four of the major American leagues playing at the same time. Ooh. Um, you know, you gotta, there's only so much attention span in, in the, in the country. You know, I mean, someone has to lose out in that deal. And you would think that the TV networks, you know, who are already hurting, you know, because of this, uh, you would think they would take note and say, you know, we're not going to necessarily, maybe we shouldn't get baseball X amount of sure. dollars for this year because everybody's watching the Browns Eagles game this weekend or something, which I don't know why people would do that, but that's just what I thought of. That's another thing that I don't, think any of us know a whole lot about yeah. what what room do tv networks have right now to back out of their current offers what what uh freedom do they have and whatever the the fine print is in their contracts with these teams to say you know your uh your best 10 players aren't playing this year we're going to give you less money I, I don't know i don't uh i don't know nearly enough about the business side of sports to be able to say um what those contracts look like and how those could be impacted by a shortened season or whatever, because that could play a huge part in it, right? Yeah. Or what's to stop a, a network from saying, you know, when we signed you, we we had the you know the idea that players X, Y, and Z were going to be playing. Now let's say that they yeah. get sick, and you know, those guys aren't playing 
for the rest of the year or, or whatever. You know, why should we, you know, you're not going to draw the same number of eyeballs, you're not you know, captivate the same number of people. So I don't know. There's so many things we just don't know about this compounded on things we don't know about the virus compounded on top of all kinds of things. So it's, uh, I'm glad that I'm not the one who has to work these things out. And it's weird that they wait until just now <laughs> to start in a way figuring all this out. Um, you know, you would th- they had, it's been 11 weeks, <laughs> you know, surely there was somebody that could have been locked in a room and they said, come up, drop 16 different plans and we'll use the one that fits. But no, so <laughs> here we are. And we heard some of those 16 plans, right? Like we, we had <laughs> yes. some of these trial balloons floated in the last couple of months and we, we, every time we kind of responded with like, eh, maybe it could work. I, that seems a little crazy, but, um, really like who knows at this point because it's too early, early to tell. It's like, well, now, it does. It no longer feels too early to tell, uh, but we are coming up on something of a self-made deadline where if you don't get something done by the start of June um, or the first week of June for sure, like good luck getting this this thing started in, in July. That's just like the fact of how pitchers need to warm up and how batters need to warm up and and all this. So, um, in on one hand, this has worked out pretty well considering how you. Or how we were thinking at the start of uh, at the start of this uh, pandemic and quarantine, the numbers are he- heading in the right direction. I think people are encouraged um, uh, just on on the whole by by the response and and what the actual um, you know how how COVID nineteen is is uh, seeming to be. I don't know. I'm not no expert, but things seem to be getting a little bit better, and we can talk about having sports, and it no longer seems like that's an absolutely insane, silly thing to talk about. Um, but on the other hand, we do have uh, some urgency here, and baseball has already missed out on an opportunity to get some of the goodwill that NHL and NBA have gotten. Um, NBA was the first one to say, yep, we're taking this seriously. Our player tested positive. Uh, everything's shut down. And so people said, nice job responding quickly to that. And then already <laughs> they are making plans to come back. Yeah. And baseball, on the other hand, which is just kind of like, you know, taking it easy in spring training said, all right, I guess, I guess we're going to shut down too. Um, we'll figure something out later. And now you're just getting lapped by the NHL and, and NBA. Um, so that's sort of the other hand where it's like, I know this is how negotiating works. Like you, you slow play things, you hold stuff back. You ultimately accept some conditions at the end that maybe you acted like you would never accept. Uh, I think that's where we're headed. I still think we're going to get something to happen, but baseball has definitely lost a little bit of that goodwill uh, with fans because um, whether it's the way, whether it's the way the two sides have handled it, which is with leaks and uh, acting like their proposals are are the best things since sliced bread, <laughs> then um, it has it has turned some fans against some baseball players and potentially against teams, depending on what your what your view of all that is. So it would definitely be in their best interest to figure something out. In this you know later this week or, or this weekend and and be able to, to finally have some good headlines rather than, you know, hypotheticals and and negative stuff like Blake Snell. And while we're, while we're talking about money, too, uh, uh, keep in mind that May 31st, we're recording this on uh, May 27, and May 31st is the end date for that $400 stipend that teams are paying oh, yeah. the minor leaguers. Uh, a couple teams, uh, the Oakland A's, apparently send out emails to their players saying, oh, by the way, we're not going to pay you that 400 anymore, but you're still on a contract to us, so um, you can't get unemployment and you can't go play for anybody else, but we're just not going to pay you. And um, a couple other clubs have said that, no, nah, we're going to keep paying minor leaguers for at least a month or a couple of months or whatever. Uh, it is now 2.38 p.m. 
on the 27th. I have, I sent an email to the pirates and I communicated to them at 10.37 a.m. asking what their policy will be toward the minor leaguers and have not heard anything yet. So. Yeah. That could change. There's a lot of players left in the lurch right now. Yeah. So. A lot of guys. Yeah. There are a lot of guys yeah. wondering what they're, you know, the pirates are probably, you know, since I didn't get a, a you know, quick response, I'm assuming the answer is, and we've decided to keep paying. I have a feeling that it, it's either a no or they're still kind of formulating how they're going to handle it. So. All right. Well, one way or the other, it'll be worked out. Yeah. Like on one hand with, with that conversation, like it's not all that expensive for them to, Take care of their minor leaguers. Like we're talking, um, like it's four hundred bucks a month for for those guys. Maybe you, I don't know, the, the the lower minor league guys you send home or something, or maybe you just make it a more condensed, um, tent, condensed group. But you have to think the worst thing that could happen to the Pirates right now is not having development year for yeah. all of their prospects. Yeah, and so I don't know if that's you take a hundred dudes and you go to. Pirate City once it's safe and you pay them, you know, whatever you pay them and they play, you know, inter squad games in, in, you know, the backfields, uh, and all summer. I don't know if that's you make everybody do fall ball. Uh, I don't know if you make extra leagues. I don't know what you do, but basically you're telling these guys, the A's are telling these guys, Hey, you, uh, we don't, we don't think there's gonna be a season this year. It's not looking good. We're not gonna give you that stipend. Please keep training. You're still under contract. You can't go play indie ball. You can't go play this or that. Um, their next op- option to play is probably winter ball. Yeah. Um, maybe the fall league. And so you're really missing a huge opportunity to, to make some developments, make some strides. And for a team like, you know, Oakland, they need that. They, you know, they're, they're not a big payroll team. They need guys to be progressing. And so, of course, Whoever does this first is going to get absolutely ripped, just like the Pirates did when when you announced some of the you know 401k mm. not matching anymore. And then the first team that says we're furloughing people, then you look terrible. And 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 then so we'll see who comes around after the Athletics do. But it's a terrible look, right? When you oh, yeah. come out and say like I know it's like not that much money, but we don't see a good way forward. And so we're gonna we're gonna suspend this and and uh, demand that you guys remember that you're under contract and you're not allowed to do anything without our without our consent so it's a pretty messy situation i'd be really curious to hear where the pirates go but i do think they need to find ways to continue that development even even during this you know uh, asterisk season let's pause here for a moment uh steven and let me ask you this uh how do you smell <laughs> you know it's quarantine we've all been locked down for a while Maybe you get that stuck at home kind of smell and, uh, smelling good is important. But at the same time, I remember back in the day in my college dorm, you could tell it was Friday night because the, uh, the scent of polo oh, by yeah. Ralph Lauren filled every floor, didn't it? Yeah. It was like that in the eighties, probably in the nineties and aughts as well. Um, so I eventually switched it to car, but what did you do? Um, we had these terrible little, uh, scents from Walmart. We get the smallest little ones and we thought they were, we thought they were so good in high school and we just use these basically little tester bottles and uh, they lasted. You can make those things last. Yeah, but you know, it shouldn't have to be that way. And there are better ways to do it. Smelling good is important, not only for you, but for those people who are quarantined with you. And there's something called Hawthorne. That can help you smell your best no matter what time of day or day of the week it is. Weekends or maybe just a, a Tuesday morning when you're sitting around at your laptop. You can use Hawthorne. And it is, too. I'm, I'm thinking of this as well. It's a perfect gift for Father's Day, which is coming up, you know, in, in June. So what you need to do is go online. 
And there you take a quiz, a few easy questions about you, your personality. And it comes up with, uh, you know, what scent would be perfect for you. And it would also maybe be something that your significant other would like, which is, you know, as we know, especially in these times, crucial now more than ever. Very important. So here's how it works. You go take a two-minute quiz on Hawthorne, and it'll tell you the clones that are best for you. One for work, one for play. Totally risk-free. The dogs are going nuts. They love it. You get free shipping and free returns. You check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E at the end, dot C-O. Not dot com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code athletic to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co athletic is the promo code and you get 10% off your first purchase. You'll smell good. You'll feel good. Hawthorne.co. All right. Well, shifting gears a little bit. This is uh, episode 57 of the Yin is Above Replacement podcast. And, you know, we always dedicate the, the, each episode to its numerical counterpart on the Pirates roster. So this mean, that means this episode, this is uh, going out to Todd Van Poppel, 1988, 1998. Yeah, Mike Zagurski, the big Z from 2013. Uh, who could ever forget John? Well, I, could, I guess I've already forgotten him, Jonathan Sanchez. But, uh, you know, there are some other guys who actually wore the, the number worthily. If that's a word. John Smiley came to mind. Mm-hmm. He was number 57 from 86 to 91. Had a lot of good seasons. Dogs are just <laughs> loving them down the street, you know. And I have, I'm not going to, in a secure location here with doors and windows closed, sweating like Jim Bibby. Yeah. And, uh, and the dogs are just going nuts. Maybe it's the end of days. But John Smiley is the point I was trying to make. The best number 57, I think, in Pirates history. And, you know, that reminds me, Steve, I did a story a couple of days ago about the best Pirates player Ooh. and each uniform number from double zeros, which was uh, Rick White for a short period of time in uh, 19, no, 2005, I'm sorry, all the way up to big number 97, was it? Uh, let's see, who was, yeah, 97, Joe Bimal in 2011. Joe Bimal, local guy. I remember Joe Bimal. He was hilarious. Good dude, too. Pretty <laughs> down to earth. Uh, Duquesne University player. So, but, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to peruse that story or not. It's, uh, it's one of those ones that was kind of fun to, when I first heard about doing it, and I was like, oh, really? Every number? Oh, God. It's, I'll do that in 20 minutes. Well, three days later, there's I was a lot like of numbers. still slaving over. <laughs> there's a lot of numbers, a lot of players. And as you get higher up, a lot of bad players. So, but it's um, cool because yeah, those, them- those bad players get their moment, right? Yeah, I well, those that. are the ones I think who are maybe more interesting, you know. <laughs> in some cases, I, I think the fav, my favorite guy who I who I picked, just scrolling through the list now, was uh, let's see, not Lasting's Millage, although Mike Sanzarino, our boss, loves Lasting's Millage, mm-hmm. not Wai Chung Wang, uh, not James Marvel, he's still around. Uh, Jeff Hartley, he's one of your faves. Uh, Jared Hughes, everybody loves Jared Hughes. Justin Morneau, nobody liked him here. He always seemed sad. He was a sad man uh-huh. when he was here. He did not want to be here. Number 61, Ray Krochik, who played for the Pirates in 1984. He was a right-handed reliever, a native of Sewickley. He was drafted in the first round three different times. Wow. The Red Sox took him 23rd overall. This is back when the draft had two phases. There was a January phase and then yeah. a secondary phase in June. 
1980, January 23rd to the, to the Red Sox, he says no. Five months later, Cardinals say, hey, we'll take you with a 23rd overall pick. He says no. In June of 81, so that's a whole year later, you know, two cycles later, the Pirates take Krawczyk, fourth pick, secondary phase, and he says, yeah, I'll sign. <laughs> so he did, and uh, he appeared in 24 games and had an 8.65 ERA. And you say, Rob, those numbers suck. How could you make him your 61? Well, there were so many other good candidates out there. I said, well, actually, there's not. There's only four other candidates out there. One of them was Tony Watson in his rookie year and Matt Haig in 2012. Justin Thomas in 2010, no memory of him at all. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Justin. I was around that year, but I just can't. And Mark Petkovic. Petkovic. Petko, I, 1993, I should know how, Mark Petkovacek. Pet? You're better with the Slavic names than I am, aren't you? Anyway, yeah, yeah. none of those guys for me did it. So, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, here, here we are. I, I'm, uh, spoiler alert, I'm doing something similar with Ed Bouchette on the Steelers and it is, you're right, those things, there are a lot of players in franchise histories and so you have to dig through a lot of numbers and uh especially with the pirates and steelers like they have pretty storied histories you don't want to miss a guy from the the 40s or 50s who deserves your your vote and your unconditional support is your number 78 or something um they had some good 78 so yeah so so that was fun and you mentioned todd van poppel and i'll use that to shoehorn in a story I, i wrote um it went up yesterday it was about this funny strange rule i never knew about until pretty recently uh, about how from 1965 yeah. until 2005, so 40 years, the uh, the number one pick in the draft alternated between the worst team in the AL and the worst team in the NL year after year, and uh, went through and, and looked at. Uh, I guess it was sparked by the real, realization that Ken Griffey Jr., if not for that rule, uh, would have been eligible to be drafted by the Pirates, who would have held the number one pick because they were bad in '86. And so from there, I kind of went and, and went down the what if, uh, you know, rewriting history rabbit hole and looked at all the times where that rule prevented the worst team in the majors record wise from having the first pick. And it actually happened <clears throat> more often than not it happened uh, 25 out of the, <laughs> the 40 times. And, uh, there were some great names that you can consider going to a different home, going all the way back to, you know, Dale, Dale Strawberry, Harold Baines. Griffey, B.J. Surhoff, the uh, uncle, of course, of uh, Mr. Colin Moran. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Andy Bennis. You had Chipper Jones, Phil, ne- uh, Phil Nevin, A-Rod, uh, Chris Benson, uh, of course, of Pirates Whoa. fame. Uh, Pat Burrell, Josh Hamilton, Adrian Gonzalez, Joe Maurer. Uh, so I had a very fun time with that, and I got a hold of Chipper Jones to run this past him, and he was very, very kind, very, uh, very nice to play along with this hypothetical of what would have happened if he had actually been drafted by the Tigers. Not the Atlanta Braves, <laughs> and um, and so that was that was a really good time. And and he brought up the fact that Todd Van Poppel was pretty much everybody's number one overall uh, uh, talent, top of their draft board in 1990. Yet he didn't go till I think 14th because everyone was freaked out about his contract demands. So that uh, <laughs> that old Todd Van Poppel, I'm glad he earned a spot in your list because there were not a, not a whole lot of lists he ranked too high on in the over the years. Yeah, and I remember when he played for the Pirates. Yeah, he had another, he was another guy that was just unhappy about being here. That it just you know, I, I can probably think of a lot of these guys over the years, unfortunately. But when you, when you look at that '87 draft after Griff, I mean the Pirates with the second pick took Mark Merchant, who is uh, best remembered for not being remembered, and then uh, Willie Banks and. Went to the Twins, and 
Jack McDowell, interesting at five. Derek Lilliquist, there's Kevin Appier, uh, Delano DeShields, Chris Carpenter. Actually, there's more talent toward the middle and back. Yeah. Biggio was on there. But um, I, I wonder if the Pirates would have pulled the trigger on Griffey. You mean for signing purposes? Yeah, I mean, they were both high school outfielders. He didn't sign for a crazy high. He, um, I think if I remember correctly, I think Harkey was actually the one that a lot of people thought that Mariners might take one. Um, I think he signed for 150000 which sure is, is a lot of money, Griffey. Um, but I, I don't know that it's so outrageous that they, they – it was a pretty good bet that he was going to be um, going to be pretty good. Uh, his dad was playing in the majors, of course, at the time. I think he was with Atlanta um, that year. Um, but I'd like to imagine – don't ruin my re- rewriting history. I'd like to imagine I still would have taken Griffey, number one. It seemed like they, they were – oh, hold on. You talk for a second. I'm going to pull up – a pretty fun um, story that someone sent me today. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct myself. Mark Merchant, by the way, actually got. This is crazy. This is gonna blow your mind. Mark Merchant got a larger signing bonus than Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey really? Jr. got one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and Mark Merchant received one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars from the Pirates. Wow! And wow. And by 1998, he was out of ball. Here's the story of how the Pirates actually thought they were going to potentially get Griffey anyway, even though they had number two pick. Uh, the owner of the Mariners apparently was uh, pushing for the front office to draft uh, Mike Harkey, this college right-hander. And finally, the front office talked him out of it. So he, so he, he you know, backed off and they chose Griffey. Um, and there's a quote from Sid Thrift. This is a Baltimore Sun story from 1994. Uh, of course, 94 is, is, uh, I think started to fall apart for the, for the Buckos a little bit. And things weren't going so great. Sid Thrift says, we came this close to having Bonds and Griffey. Can you imagine that? Bonds and Griffey on the same team? <laughs> uh, so they, um, yeah, this story just walks through them, them believing that, uh, that they had a chance at getting Griffey. So obviously we know how history turned out. I'd be very curious to, to know how that would have, Turned out, you know, Griffey ends up leaving Seattle after some amazing years there and going to Cincinnati mm-hmm. to be closer to home. You know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Pittsburgh is a l- just close enough to Cincinnati that he doesn't need to to move out. And uh, I know he and Bonds mm-hmm. were close early. I think they met in the minors and they were uh, friends throughout um, throughout their careers. And, you know, maybe, maybe those guys stick around. Now, this is, of course... Uh, assuming the Pirates are wanting to pay top dollar for two of the best outfielders in the game. So I don't think we're necessarily talking in the realm of reality right now, but it's a very, very fun idea to think about. Wow. Griffey, Bonds, Bonilla, same outfield. <laughs> you might wow. have to, you might have to bump, uh, Bonilla to third base with, you know, Vance like. Or maybe you yeah, never, or maybe you never true. even get Vance like in the first place. Maybe you never get Vance like. Yeah. Maybe you keep Pena or, wow, the whole world changes. That's right. You know, but, uh, Maybe the you know we find a cure, and maybe there's no wars in the Middle East. And maybe there's men on the Mars right now these, mining plutonium. Or something. These are the kind of ramifications that that you need to consider when the MLB draft comes around every year. Because all of, hey, all of you out there who just ignore the draft or don't really care because the guy won't be here for five years, six years. These are the kind of things life. You know, the world revolves around uh, the outcome of the number one and number two pick. Oftentimes, it's proven. It's the baseball butterfly effect, right That's there. That's right. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. 
Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. Well, the one for me, the tough thing about picking, and you mentioned bonds, the, the tough thing about picking these uniform numbers, I don't know if you're having the same trouble doing the Stillers, but, you know, it's not so much writing about the guys who, you know, the Ray Karachik's of the world who you never hear much about. It's what do I write about Barry Bonds? Yeah. Number 24. Cause, you know, everybody knows Barry Bonds. Everybody has formed their opinion about Barry Bonds. How do you not, how do you write about Barry Bonds and not use the letters P-E-D at any point in your little paragraph? You know, you have like four or five paragraphs tops to write about yeah. these guys. So I went to a, a tale that was told to me. I recalled it. Uh, it was told to me years ago in spring training camp, and I've heard it a couple of times since then. And if you haven't read the story, well, first of all, shame on you. What the hell? But if you haven't read the story, I'll relay that to you now. It was in the late 1980s, and Bonds was doing a photo shoot at Pirate City or or then what was then called McKechnie Field. Um, not sure which is which. But um, he was having this, the photo shoot done, and Roy Stargell was walking by, and he was curious about what was going on. And he saw it was Barry Bonds, who was this hot thing in the pirate system. I don't think he was really had been, hadn't become an established star yet. So he kind of wanders over to see what's going on. And Bonds kind of like, you know, motions for him to leave. He's like, get out of here, old man. I'm the star here in Pittsburgh now. Hmm. Boom. Not very nice. <laughs> yes. Realizing what he'd done, Bonds like, you know, sea stars were kind of huffing and puffing away. So he kind of, he stops the photo shoot and he runs over and, and he puts his arm around stars and I was like, Hey man, you know, I was just kidding. You know, you're, you're the man, you're the king. And I'm just this little Barry Bonds guy. And I was just joking around, but it was clear that, you know, he's saying he's joking around, but he really wasn't joking around. Even then he knew he wasn't really joking around. So Starge looks at him and kind of brushes his arm off his shoulder and says, you better get some more lines on the back of your baseball card before you talk to me that way. And he walks away. So, boom. Thank you, Willie Starge. Just a great moment. Once, you know, one final pops moment from Starge right there for the organization. But, <laughs> um, and just some early foreshadowing of what was to come with Barry Bonds and the city of Pittsburgh, I suppose. But, um, yeah, if you haven't checked out the uniform numbers story, if you're wondering why I throw uni numbers out at the start of every podcast, but I guess we're going to have to do that if we careen past episode 97. Um, I know. That's one of the reasons why, because it's fun to talk about the guys who wore the numbers and what they did or what they didn't do or what they perhaps should not have done. Yeah, I, I and I don't know if you guys are the same, but I, I grew up loving numbers. They have – well, uh, Jersey numbers specifically, like they hockey, football, baseball, they just had such significance. And and when I finally had a chance to pick my number in like little league, uh, that was man, that was an exciting time in life. It's that's the that's the first taste of like adult freedom where you can pick your own number and, and decide who you're going to be. Because I feel like your number says a lot about who you are. You know, I think so too. I and mean, you know, I don't know if you find this to be the case or not, but I find myself unable to just automatically spit out uniform numbers now as much as I did back in the day. Um, you know, like as I was doing this, I, you know, a lot of the players from the seventies and eighties and even nineties, I knew the number with the name right away, 
Yeah. And, and yes, uh, Joel Hanrahan texted me last night. Yes, Joel, you're on the list. Number two. <laughs> you, were, you were selected. Congratulations. Now buy a subscription to The Athletic and read it. Uh, <laughs> but, but now with the more recent guys, I would be like, oh, yeah. Huh. Starting Marte was number six. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and I don't know what the reason for that is. If I'm just getting, you know, too old and crotchety or if I think it's maybe just the players change teams and move around so much. And you don't, you know, when I think of, you know, the, the pirates in those early nineties, big number 15, I think Doug Drayback or number 18. And yeah, it's like, you know, but now, cause those guys had some heft and some importance beyond just the borders of, you know, the North shore. Um, it just it just seems different now for a lot of reasons. Uh, things are more transient. Things are less permanent. So I don't pick up the numbers that quickly. I don't know about how – do you find the same thing or is it different? Not you? with not with the, the big players so much. Um, like a Marte, I, I, I don't have any issue um, remembering a number like that. But it is the guys who, who are just – I feel like when I was growing up, like any Red Wings guy who would come up for a cup of coffee, I would remember his number um, for way too long. And, um, and staying with the Tigers, of course. And, and with the Pirates, it's, I mean, with any team right now, it's not so much because they do cycle in and out so much. And so maybe your top 20 numbers don't change all that much, but beyond that, like you're, you're having, um, who is, you had, uh, some guy, oh, Matt Hag came on, um, on your list at 65. And I was like, yeah, how am I going to remember that? Like a Matt Hag wore 65 and, <laughs> um, you know, what Jeff Locke was what, like 49 or something like there, mm-hmm. there are, uh, you know, John Borman, the most famous 64, of course, um, they, they, we use more, more players in baseball now than we ever have before. And they cycle in and out so often that it is pretty hard to, to keep track of all that. So, um, I do remember a couple of times where they'd have some, the Pirates would have like a ton of relievers called up and I'd be like, I don't remember what number Angel Sanchez is. And you'd have to consult your, your, your uh, roster card. So yeah, it's a little, it's a little trickier, especially lower on the board nowadays. For me, number five, I, I picked Archie Vaughn, but for me, number five is always going to be Bill Madlock. Uh, yeah. Just cause you know, that, that, that was the period really in the, in the early mid eighties, when I really began to get interested in baseball and followed it, and Madlock was one of my favorite players at that time, right? Um, but Vaughn just, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. Um, he's just uh, an amazing guy. But War number two or number five, I guess, for his final two years as a Pirate, um, and then uh, thirty-seven years after he retired, I forgot about that. Thirty-seven years after he retired, he went in the Hall of Fame. Archie Vaughn, yeah, yeah, took thirty-seven years. So. Um, you know, maybe uh, Dave Parker shouldn't bitch too much. Although it's been longer than 37 years now, has it? Maybe not. Yeah, these guys are waiting for a long time. <laughs> when you first said Arky, I thought you were going to say Archimedes Caminero. You know, so, oh. which which actually, fun fact, is what Arky Vaughn is short for, Archimedes Vaughn. So, okay, that's, that's, kids, that's not true. Don't believe a word I say. Yeah, no, we're just we're just pulling that up about here. We're just we're just making it up. Well, not all, but a lot of it. But I think we've made up enough for this week. Okay. So, um, talk to you later.